along here. Got piano player, got organ player. Got Amy that can sing. Got Danny that can sing. I think it's time we vote on getting the bus, start traveling around the country. You guys sing and I'll preach and that's a good job. Well, I'll tell you what, God's good to us, isn't he? Oh, yeah, the kids can be dismissed if they want to. <laughs> Amen, good job. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, yes, where are we going to turn? To the book of Genesis. What we're going to start today is we're going to start our study on how that the books of the Bible, what they mean, how you, what you really look for. Now, let me, let me just say this, and obviously... My intention is not to give you a verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I don't need to do that. All I have to do is show you what Genesis is all about and give you the main meat of that book, like I'll do with every book of the Bible. What I'm giving you is the byproduct of about 35 years of my life, coming through the Word of God and, uh, and laying out the Bible verse-by-verse and compiling everything with every place else it goes. I'm going to show you, when you're done with the book of Genesis, when we're done with the book of Genesis today, you're going to have the ability to look at the book of Genesis once you spend a little time putting some of this material together. And you're going to have the ability to, uh, to understand what this book is all about. You're going to have the ability to know what you want to look for. And you're going to have all the keys to go back and you're going to study. Now, I told you last week that, uh, you know, we go week by week. And if you could get the material down, now I know that most of you are probably not going to be able to, in one week's time, get all the material that I'm going to give you today. And that's okay. It doesn't matter if you get behind as long as you stay in it. And we will go week by week, book by book, and we'll come through and we'll begin to lay each book out to give you the insight that you need to see. And there'll be times that we'll take a break from it and, uh, you know, we'll preach something else as the Lord leads us, but uh, we don't want to get locked into anything. But this is our goal for the next uh, couple of years that we come through this. And when we're done, uh, we'll, we'll have it all together. So let's go to the Lord this morning. Ask God to bless us as we come to his word. Father, we're so thankful today and so mindful for all that you do for us. We love you. And Lord, there's a lot of things I need to say today. And Lord, uh, I need the clarity of thought. I need the order of things. You'd have things to be said and done. Uh, that this makes uh, all this material becomes cohesive and understandable. I'm not here to try to confuse anybody, Lord. I just want to make it as simple and plain and help my people understand your word. I love these people. They're part of this church, they're part of my ministry, and you have saw fit to put us together, uh, Lord, uh, and to have a time in your word together. And Lord, we just love you now and praise you. Uh, teach us and train us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, for our sake we ask it. Amen. Now, <clears throat> the book of Genesis is called the book of the beginnings. And it's also commonly called the book of Moses. Moses writes the first five books of your Bible. Sometimes when you're reading through, you'll find a word called the Pentateuch. And you'll find, the, it'll talk about the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Those are the books that Moses writes. And the book of Genesis has 50 chapters in it. It has 534 verses and it has 38,267 words. And I give you that material because of the fact down the line, uh, you're going to see how that will come into play in some things when we study the whole concept of the Bible. Now, the time frame uh, that, uh, uh, is, that the book of Genesis is written here, uh, it's written about uh, uh, 1570 B.C. In other words, it's written some 2,400 years uh, after it's, uh, all the events have taken place. Now, obviously, the book of Genesis takes uh, a, a gigantic period of time, but uh, when you come through it, it starts out in Genesis chapter 1. The time frame there is 4004 B.C. So we begin to walk all the way through the uh, early part of the Bible. And this is why Genesis is called the book of the beginnings. The book of Genesis is the foundation. The book of Genesis is the model for the rest of the Bible. And you're going to see that today. And if there's one thing I want you to see today, I want you to see this. And uh, a lot of the other things I'm going to tell you, they're important and you get to in time. But there's always main things that I want you to remember. Now, what I want you to remember today, most of all, about what I'm saying is that the book of Genesis is the foundation of the whole Bible. It's the cornerstone. And the book of Genesis does exactly uh, what the book of Acts does in the New Testament. The book of Genesis in the Old Testament begins to lay down the road signs. We're on a journey, and this journey is going to take us through the Bible. This Bible is going to take us through time. More importantly... Putting it together, what we talked about last week, we know that God has three plans. 
This book is going to begin to walk us through those three plans. And what you're going to find in the book of Genesis is the road sign for our journey. You're going to find things defined that we need to know along this journey. Just like when you go leave Kansas City and you go on a trip to Denver, wherever you go, and you drive out there, there's all kinds of signs along that road to tell you where you're going, what you're getting into, and uh, that's exactly what the book of Genesis does in the Old Testament. The book of Acts does it for you in the New Testament. And where the book of Acts starts the beginning of the New Testament, the book of Genesis starts the beginning of the Old Testament. And that's why it's so important as we come through it. And uh, I'm going to give you a basic breakdown. Now, I told you that the book of Genesis had 50 chapters, 534 verses, and 38 some odd thousand some odd words. And the book of Genesis, by 50 chapters, looked like a very complicated book. But when you study the Bible, you've got to remember something. God told us a great key in the New Testament when it came to Him dealing with us. He said that He deals with us like children. And as children, God makes things simple. Man always makes it complicated. God always makes it simple. God will always simplify everything. God is not the author of confusion, the Bible says. And when you're into something or you go someplace, and when they start laying out the Bible, and they make it absolutely hard or impossible for you to grasp, and they start throwing out terms that you don't understand, words and concepts that's above you, but the guy is obviously trying to impress you with what he knows, you're in the wrong place. That Bible is basic. And when God wrote the most complicated book in the Bible that really is the key to the whole Bible and the cornerstone and the foundation, even though it's got 38,000 some verses, uh, words, that Bible was written for children, you and me. And you know how God deals with children. You know how you deal with children. I've told you before. When you sit down and read your Bible to your kids or you teach your kids about the Bible, you show them pictures. You, give, uh, you use books that have illustrations of what you're reading by the pictures. And that's exactly what the book of Genesis is. And the book of Genesis breaks down into 11 stories. That's all you have to know. And when you, when you understand this, this is how you remember the book of Genesis. <coughs> Forget the 38,000 uh, words. I was just telling you that so I could impress you. Forget all of that. What you want to remember is that the book of Genesis is 11 stories. And those 11 stories are incredible. And we'll talk about them in detail as we go through. But that's how you want to remember it. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 is the story of creation. Chapter 3 and chapter 4 is the story of Adam and Eve. Chapter 5 is the generations of Adam. Chapter 6 through chapter 9 is the story of Noah. Chapter 10, the generations of Noah. Chapter 11, the Tyre of Babel. Chapter 12 through chapter 25 is the life of Abraham and Isaac. Chapter 26 and chapter 27, Jacob and Esau. Chapter 28 through chapter 35, the life of Jacob. Chapter 36, the generations of Esau. And chapter 37 through chapter 50, the life of Joseph. Now, did you notice that there's three chapters in there that deal with genealogies? And they're placed specifically throughout the book of Genesis. Because the book of Genesis brings you up to a ways, and then it stops, and it shows you the genealogies of what you just saw. Then it brings you up again, and then it stops, and it shows you another set of genealogies. And then it brings you up again, and it stops, and it shows you another set of genealogies. Everything is built around those three breaks. And you will find the whole book of Genesis is built on that concept. So when you begin to come through the book of Genesis, it's real easy. It's a storybook. God's writing it to children. He doesn't want to confuse you. He wants you to understand it. And you know as well as I know that your kids like stories. When they go to bed, Mama, tell me a story. Daddy, tell me a story. Grandpa, tell me a story. Barb, uh, Grandma, Nana, tell me a story. I say that when I go to sleep. Barb, tell me a story. But anyway, <laughs> that's the way God wrote it. And God wrote it on that concept that you would come to that Bible and when you began to read Genesis, you would see that it is nothing more than 11 stories. Now, within those stories, you have everything. And we're going to talk about that. One of the things that you're going to start to find out about the book of Genesis is that it defines things. Last week, I told you about uh, a numerology in the Bible. And I showed you how that the number three was the structure and the order of things. When God made things, He made it after His own pattern, a pattern of threes. And we talked about that last week. And once we come through the book of Genesis, you're going to see that how all these numbers are defined. We won't get to all of them. We'll get to all of them in time 
Well, we just need to talk about the essential ones now. The next number you see popping up, right off the bat, is the number of seven. In the Bible, when God does something, He does it perfectly. When God does something, He does it completely. The number seven in the Bible is a number of perfection and completion. You're going to find that when God makes something, He structures it after threes, but when He does it, He does it by a system of sevens. That's the way that God does everything. He created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. There's seven years, tribulation. You'll find it was seven years building the temple in the Old Testament. You'll find that when Noah took all the animals into the ark, everybody says the ark animals went in two by two. But that's not exactly true because the Bible says that he took the clean animals by sevens. And you're going to find all the way through the Bible that pattern. You'll find in the Bible, you'll find that the Bible is built around seven mysteries, seven resurrections, seven baptisms, seven judgments, uh, seven members of the household of God. You'll find that there's seven changes to the earth. You'll find out that there's seven natural laws in the Bible that all the world runs by. God does it by sevens. Everything that God does, God does by seven. In the book of Revelation, it's seven churches with seven vials and seven trumpets and seven personages and seven angels. All the way through, Lucifer before he fell. All angels have seven letters in their name. When Lucifer before he fell, seven letters. The word perfect has seven letters. Why? It's God's perfect number. And you're going to find in the Bible, everything is built around. When God does it, he does it by a series of seven. All the Old Testament feasts were, uh, were, uh, were connected with a number of seven. In the world that we live in, there's only seven colors. Any painting that Michelangelo ever painted, he painted only with seven colors. Any song that Beethoven ever wrote, there's only seven notes. Your head has seven holes in it. And all down with everything in life. Well, some of you got maybe eight. But anyway, but everything God does, he does by sevens. Satan, before when he fell, he was Lucifer. After he fell, he's no longer called Lucifer. He's now called the devil. Five letters. You know why? Because the next thing you find in Genesis is the number five, the number of death. These things are important. First man that dies in the Bible, where the Bible says that he died, Genesis 5, 5. In the Old Testament, you ever wonder why when they kill a man in the Old Testament, they always stab him under the fifth rib? Because five is the number of death in the Bible. Satan has five letters. Devil has five letters. I mean, it's everywhere you go. When David went out to kill Goliath, he was going to kill him. He picked up five smooth stones. When Christ was crucified on the cross, he had five wounds in his body. Because five is the number of death. And you know what? I don't care what the unsaved world says. I don't care what, what the whole world thinks. They cannot get away from that Bible. Do you ever notice how the world thinks that seven's a lucky number? I wonder where they get that from. I'm telling you, the whole world goes by the Bible. And in this world with number five, number five means death. You know what they call it in a, in a Navy when a ship goes down and dead in the water? Or not maybe the Navy, but in the, in the, in the Marine thing, it's called a number five shutdown. You know when a man gets in trouble in SOS, uh, when the standard operational megahertz uh, channel for SOS is 500 megacycles? And you know when a pilot's flying over, I don't care what war, World War II, Vietnam, Korea, you go where you want to go. When he gets something in trouble with his plane and he's got a bailout or he's got a ditch, you know what he says? He keys that mic and he says, Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. Wow. January, February, March, April, May. That's the Bible you got there. Now the Bible begins to lay those things out. And the Bible begins to show you in Genesis the road signs. So you want to watch the number sevens. You want to watch the number five. Somebody said, well, Jesus, Bob's his name got five letters in his name. You betcha. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes when he was born. He came to die. Yes, that's right. Very good. Head of the class. So you begin to look at those things. And you begin to see that in the book of Genesis, sevens are going to reign. And that is another way that you begin to look at things. And I'll show you what I mean. In the book of Genesis, you have seven beginnings. You have the heavens, the earth, animals, man, sin, <coughs> redemption, and the beginning of the messianic line. In the book of Genesis, you have seven pairs. You have Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Lamech and Enoch, Abraham and Lot, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and Benjamin. And you're going to find, when you study those seven pairs, you're going to find every situation in life you want to get into. That's how God breaks it down. He doesn't make it hard. He gives you a model. He gives you a plan. He gives you a system. He gives you 11, 11 stories, and then he breaks it down by a series of seven. I guess that's why when they shoot crap, they all get happy when they go, seven come 11. 
I'm telling you, you got a book. And that book breaks itself down uh, without any problem at all if you just follow God's basic rule. Now, not only are there seven beginnings and seven pairs, there's seven types of Christ in the book of Genesis. Or there's seven saints, however you want to look at it. And you can study them both ways. You'll find that there's Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And you'll find that these men's lives will picture everything you need to know about how to build your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Genesis has it all. The book of Genesis has it all. Without a doubt, the book of Genesis is the most key book in the Bible, and it defines for us everything else we're going to find in the Bible. In fact, I'm going to go so far to say this, and I'm going to show you what I mean in a minute. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 12, every doctrine that you're going to find through the rest of the Bible has been laid out for you. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 12, every doctrine, I'll show you what I mean in just a minute. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 12, every doctrine that you're going to find in the New Testament or the Old Testament about salvation, the church, the rapture, sanctification, anything you want to talk about, every doctrine has been laid out and explained by a picture before you get to Genesis chapter 12. That's why it's called the book of the beginnings. And that's why that book is so crucial that you understand it, not in the scholarship way, but in the basic elementary concepts that God has given to us as His children. Now, there's 21 types of Christ in the, in the Bible. 21 men who are foreshadow the coming Lord Jesus Christ. And when you study these men's lives, you're going to find everything you need to know about who Christ is, where He came from, His mindset, His nature. Everything about Him is going to be displayed in these 21 types. In the book of Genesis, you have seven. And those seven men not only show you about the Lord Jesus Christ, they show you about your own walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Now, we, and in Genesis, we have two types of the Antichrist. Now, in the Bible, there's 18 types of the Antichrist through the whole Bible. And there's 18 types because his number is 666, and 6 plus 6 plus 6 is 18. So you got 18 types of Christ, or Antichrist, in the Old Testament. And those men will foreshadow the coming man of sin. They'll tell you everything you need to know, or you ever wanted to know, about who the Antichrist is. It'll give you his race, it'll give you his height, it'll give you his weight, it'll give you his religion, it'll give you his preference for women or men, it'll give you everything you ever wanted to know, or all the information you can stand about the Antichrist. In the book of Genesis, you've got two. Cain and Nimrod. Cain and Nimrod. So we see right off the bat, as we begin to come through the book of Genesis, wow, it's got a lot of stuff in it. And it lays out those things that you and I can clearly understand what we're dealing with. And it lays out and breaks down the book in such an easy way that when you sit down to study it, just take that format. Look at the breakdown. Look at the 11 stories. Within those stories, you know you've got the lives of men. And what those lives of men mean, uh, we'll talk about here in just a minute and even make it easier for you. All right? Now look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I want to show you something else. I want to show you the incredible statement that the Word of God has. It says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now you know I'm not much for the Greek and the Hebrew, but I will tell you this. In the Hebrew text of the Old Testament, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, the Hebrew language has got it in seven words. You know why? Because it's a perfect book. But you and I don't read Hebrew. You and I don't read Greek. Bible wasn't written to you and me. Bible was written to us as Gentiles. So in the English, that Bible went to the Gentiles. There's in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. There's ten words. You know why? Ten in the Bible is the number of the Gentiles. First Gentile kingdom is found in Genesis chapter 10, verse 10. Last kingdom on this earth is represented by ten, a ten kings with ten toes of Daniel chapter 2. In Romans chapter 10, it's the missionary call of the Gentile. In Acts chapter 10, uh, it's the or, missionary call. Romans 10 is the salvation call of the Gentile. Luke chapter 10, uh, uh, some lepers come back and thank Christ, and there's 10 of them, and they're Gentiles. Time and time again, you're going to find that the number 10 and certain numbers in the Bible always deal with something. So when you begin to read, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth with 10 words. 
versus the Hebrew that has seven. You know you got a book that's aimed right to you as a Gentile. And that's the Bible. I'm a Gentile. You're a Gentile. And if that wasn't enough, it says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The first verse in the Bible takes, uh, takes on all forms uh, and everything that goes wrong with science. You realize that science is built on what they call the five properties of science? Any scientist anywhere, anytime you go take any science class, high school, college, elementary, whatever the case may be, you will be taught that there are five properties of science. The first property is time. The second property is force. The third property is motion. The fourth property is space. And the fifth property is matter. And you're going to find that in any science textbook, in any scientist anywhere in the world, you're going to find that. And they get that from the Bible because in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you have all five properties. It says, in the beginning, there's time. It says, in the beginning, God, there's force. In the beginning, God created, there's motion. In the beginning, God created the heavens, there's space. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, there's matter. You have everything that science says they have found in the first verse of your Bible, given to you as a Gentile. That's not all. When you come down that thing and it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, not only do you have the first five properties of science laid out, but he attacks every religion and every philosophy in the world. Because he says in the beginning, God, there goes atheism, there goes communism, there goes liberalism, <coughs> there goes secularism. He says in the beginning, God, God created, there goes evolution, there goes science. The first verse of your Bible tells you two things. It tells you that if you're a Gentile and you ain't going to believe God, you're going to have a rough time of it. Because that book is written against everything that man comes up with that goes contrary to the Word of God. And that brings us to the second great thing you learn out of the book of Genesis. Not only does the first five verses of the Bible in Genesis knock out and take on every philosophy and religion and science in the world, but it tells you when you come down through the first four verses, it tells you something else about God. It says this, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God says, Let there be light, and there was light. Ah, here it comes. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Remember a couple times back I showed you the first time the devil showed up and I showed you what his job was? I took you over there to first, uh, Genesis chapter 3 and I showed you that the first time the devil shows up, he, tries to, he shows up trying to uh, mess up somebody in the Bible and get him to believe something that God didn't say. Remember I showed you that? Well, here's the first time God shows up. First time the devil shows up in the Bible, it shows you what he does for the next 6,000 years of history. First time God shows up, it shows what God does for the next 6,000 years of history. You know what he does? He divides. He divides. He divides. <laughs> See, look, and this is why men have a tough time with God today, and you might as well get it figured out now. The reason why this whole Christian world has to change their Bible, because everybody in this world wants to get along. And in Christianity, we just want everybody to get along. We want all the religions and all the faiths to get along. So we just, we get rid of the Bible, we get rid of doctrine, so there's no differences. So everybody can just come in and we can all hold hands and sing Kumbaya, and everybody can get along and have a great time. Well, that's not what God's all about. God's not all about getting along. God's about dividing the first time he shows up, he says God divided the light from the darkness. And when he divided the light from the darkness, that's it. That's God's job. He divides. God never puts anything together. God divides. When you got saved, he divided your soul from your flesh. You got an old nature and a new nature then. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 35, he said, he, everybody said, oh, Jesus is here, he's here, he's come here. And Jesus said, hey, I'm here, but I've not come to put things together. I've come to put a variance between a man and his father. He divided. He divided. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, the word of God is a sharp two-edged sword, dividing asunder. He divides. He divides. And for your life, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, down in there, he starts down there, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, and he, that's not the right verse, the one that says, rightly dividing the word of truth, whatever one that is. I got too many things going through my mind this morning. 
Right? What is it? What is it? I, two, what, say it for me. I'm, I'm, I need a break here. Go ahead and say it. You can't say it either. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what I wanted. I had it. I just didn't take it far enough. Anyway, rightly dividing. God divides. He divides. And that is the number one thing you've got to learn out of Genesis besides the last number one thing I told you. You put it in whatever order you want. I'm just telling you. There's a lot of number one things you've got to remember out of here. And one of the things you've got to remember is he divides. God doesn't put things together. Now, we live in a world where everybody wants to get together. Everybody wants to get together. God divides. He divides. He divides. That book, the light from the darkness. God divides. And the light is truth and the darkness is not. And you can take that anywhere you want to go. The light from the darkness. So we see not only does the book of Genesis lay down the foundation of the whole Bible. But the book of Genesis does what no other book in the Bible does outside of the book of Acts. It begins to define and lay out for us what we need to look for when it comes to the Bible, particularly the book of Genesis. And as I said, every doctrine in the Bible, every doctrine in the Bible, every doctrine in the Bible is laid out for you before you get to Genesis chapter 12. Now, uh, uh, Genesis... I said it, the book of the beginnings. And in fact, I'm going to tell you this. By the time you get to the end of Genesis, you've got every issue of life, every problem that any man's going to get into, any circumstance that you can conceive and think of, everything, every circumstance, every situation that you will ever be faced with, have been faced with, and you're going to see everything laid out for you by the time you get to the end of the book by the 11 stories in that book that show you everything you need to know. You will find out how a man got into it, how he could have got out of it, and if he did get out of it, how he got out of it, and if he didn't get out of it, why he didn't get out of it. It's laid out. And you'll see it time and time again. Time and time again. Every doctrine is laid out by chapter 12, and every issue is laid out by the time you get to the end of the book. If you want a supplement book, that's one of the greatest books I've ever read. Go find Gleanings in Genesis by Arthur W. Pink. One of the greatest books you'll ever get your hands on of breaking down those 11 stories in the Bible. An incredible book. Uh, Gleanings in Genesis by Arthur Pink. All right, now I said that uh, every doctrine is laid out and every issue is laid out. Absolutely correct. This is what Jesus meant in John chapter 5, verse 46, when he said to the nation of Israel, if you would have believed me, if you believed Moses, you would have believed me. Why? Because he wrote of me. And yet, you can't find one place in Moses' writings in the first five books where he wrote about Christ, per se. But when you start to look at it through the stories, through the types, and all the things that are in there, man, you find Christ from one end to the other. And wherever you find Christ, you find his doctrine, because he's, in, he's light, and in him is no darkness at all. This is what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 through 11, when he said, These things in the Old Testament were written for our admonition by example and in sample. The Bible in the Old Testament is filled with New Testament principles. They're just in story form. And boy, when you get the stories down, you get more than just a verse that says, Thou shalt not or thou can. You get an understanding completely of the New Testament principles acted out in somebody's life who either makes the right choice or the wrong choice. So when you're faced with the same thing, you know how to do it. This is what God meant when he said that he'll never suffer you to be tempted above what you're able, that he'll always provide a way. And somebody said, well, I'm waiting, God. How are you going to provide it? God, where's it at? Well, here it is. It's right there in the stories. You learn from the examples in the Old Testament because they were faced with the same thing that you and I are faced, and you can find the same example. They either got to turn from it or they turn to it. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. And you're going to find every doctrine of the Bible. Let me show you what I mean. Let's read again Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to show you this thing. I'm going to show you the whole gospel in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now watch. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth without form and void and dark was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God says, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and, the light, uh, and God divided the light uh, from the darkness. All right, let's look what it says. It says right there that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 1, man created perfect. Verse 2, 
Sin comes in, and now he's in darkness. Verse 3, God shows up the light, Christ. In chapter 1, verse 4, the light divides from the darkness, and there's salvation. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Before you go to first four verses in Genesis, you are shown what is going to be the condition of man and how God is going to redeem him. God's creation was perfect in verse 1. The devil come down and confounded it in verse 2. In verse 3, the light appears. And in verse 4, it divides and God begins his redemption. That's why when you go over to first John, uh, over to John chapter 1, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and not with anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Right back to Genesis. Right back to Genesis. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1 says this. When John wrote, he said this. That which was from the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, the word of life. And this is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Right back to Genesis chapter 1. Why? Because that's where salvation is laid out. Before you go past the first four verses, you find man created perfect, sin falls, it makes him fall, God's light shows up, Matthew chapter 1, and then you go, the light divides the darkness, and God starts his redemptive plan. And the light shineth in darkness. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That was the light of this world. On and on and on you go. All the way through the book of Genesis. In chapter 3, you got the story of Adam and Eve. And everybody laughs at the story of Adam and Eve. Everybody makes it a kid's story. Everybody just kind of blows it off and says, well, Adam and Eve, you know, I'm not sure if it was true or not. And you got the skeptics on the one hand that don't believe it, and you got the Bible on the other hand that don't do anything with it. Let me tell you something. Adam and Eve is the greatest picture of so many things in the Bible about your relationship with Christ. It's unbelievable. I mean, when 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul wanted to show how the devil was going to attack the church, he went right back to Adam and Eve. You know why? Because Adam's a type of Christ, and he's a type of the church. She came from Adam. She came from Adam, and we came from Christ. She's not a direct creation, and I, as a son of God, am not a direct creation. I came, I came, I came. From where? Well, Eve came from his rib. Eve came from his rib. So when Christ is hanging on a cross, and he's not dead yet, that Roman soldier took that spear and he put it into his side. And you know where it went? Under the fifth rib. And when he died from the rib, came forth the church like Eve came forth when a deep sleep fell upon Adam and God brought her forth out of his side. That's the picture. That's the doctrine. That's the doctrine. And boy, I'm telling you what. You want to go a little bit farther? We already talked about this one. You can see how that after the church was formed, Eve, and she's down there doing her thing in the garden, the devil shows up and then tries to get her not to believe what God said. That whole thing's a picture of what you face every day in your life in the 20th century. Don't give me this stuff about Adam and Eve being in the Old Testament. Maybe it was, but it lays out the doctrine that you've got to face every day in your life. What are you talking about? I'll tell you another one. Chapter 4, Cain and Abel. Abel's a keeper of the sheep. Cain's the tiller of the ground. You know what you got there? You got the doctrine of salvation. Abel's a type of a saved man. Cain's the type of an unsaved man. Abel gets the right sacrifice. He gets a lamb. And he brings that lamb, and he brings that lamb to God, and God says, I'll accept that. Cain, what's he do? He, he's got a fruit stand down along the intersection there. Got the greatest watermelons, zucchini, carrots, cabbage, beets, potatoes you ever saw in your life. I mean, I'll tell you what, that boy can raise corn better than anybody. And he got a little fruit stand down there, and somebody said, hey, it's time to bring a sacrifice for the Lord. And old Abel went out there, and he's out there, out there and he looked at his sheep, and he says, man, I ain't got nothing to give God. I don't have a thing. I just, I'll just give him one of these lambs. Because there ain't nothing I got good. So I'll just have to give him something else. He walked over there and cut that lamb, brought it in there, laid it on that altar, man. And God said, you know what? You know what, it, you know what he said? You know what Abel said? I know what Abel thought. He said, you know what? I don't know what to give. What do you give somebody who's got everything? That's where that came from. He said, what do you do? He said, you know what? 
I remember when my mommy and my daddy used to tell me that story about how they were in a garden. And when they sinned and they left that garden, they knew they were naked. And they went and got them some fig leaves. And you know what? God wouldn't accept those fig leaves. And daddy told me one time, and mommy said it too, that God killed some animal. In fact, it was a sheep. Look what I'm watching. And the Bible says God made them coats of skin. You see, man fell, tried to cover his own nakedness. And God said, that won't cover it, folks. But I'll show you what will. I'm going to take some innocent and kill it. And I'm going to give you, New Testament calls them, the garments of salvation. He says, God will take a lamb. He killed that lamb, brought that thing in. God says, I'll take that. Now, old Cain, he's somebody else. Cain's a deacon in his church. Teaches Sunday school. In charge of all the committees. Cain's political, big time man. Runs a fruit stand. And he's down there, you know, and he says, time to bring an offering. And he says, well, he says, yeah, I'll bring an offering. Let's see. My watermelons and my corn and my turnips are the best. They won blue ribbon at the Stanley Fair last year. I'm going to take God some of my blue ribbon melons, corn, and turnips. And I'll offer that for a sacrifice because I did that. And look at me. I'm Cain. And I'm going to go down here, and that next week I'm putting in some sugar crops, some sugar, and I'm going to be raising Cain. He said, but I'm going to get me some, and he got that, and he loaded up his pickup truck. And he had on the back watermelons, corn on the cob that you could bite into without cooking it, and your juice would just squirt all over the place, and it was sweet and tender, and the watermelons didn't have any seeds in them, and they were red, juicy, and when you cut one, it was unbelievable. And, and I'm telling you, and the turnips, the turnips were just turnips, and he brought all those in there. I don't know what a turnip looks like. I've got to have this for my message, oh, just a minute. So anyway, he brings those down there, and God says, I can't take that. He said, why not? You took Abel's. Oh, he bred was a dead animal. He said, you never listened to the stories of your mom and daddy very well, did you? He said, well, I don't know what the big deal is. I mean, I did all this. I raised the best crop. I have the best corn. I've been baptized. I'm a member of your church. I don't understand what the problem is. God says, it isn't about what you do. Not by works of righteousness that you have done can God save you. And the Bible says that, oh, Cain, yeah, here it comes. He brought the firstlings of his hands, what he did, the works that he did, and thought God would accept his works. God says, hey, son, you got it wrong. You cannot get blood out of a turnip. That's where it comes from. All those sayings do. Don't miss the boat that's coming up in Genesis 6 with Noah. We'll get there. Can't keep a good man down? That's the rapture. Yeah, what are you laughing at? That's me. You got any goodness? I got any goodness? It's Jesus Christ. And that makes me a good man. And when that rapture comes, try to keep this good man down. I'm out of here. But anyway, we'll get to that when we get the revelation. Anyway. He comes down there and God says, I'm not going to accept her. Cain's mad. He's self-righteous. There's a picture of an unsaved religious man that brings an offering to God that's the wrong offering. And look how God deals with him. Oh, God says, Cain, are you mad? Yes, I'm mad. Cain, what's your lower lip hanging out for? Are you mad? Come on, Cain, let me hear you say praise the Lord. I don't want to say it. What are you mad about? Well, you didn't accept my offering. Well, you know what? You dismissed the lesson. Okay? So when your daddy told you about back in the garden, you wasn't paying attention. You didn't put it all together? Okay. I'll tell you what you do. You're upset because I didn't accept it? Here's what God said. No problem, Cain. Go out and get a sheep. Take the melons, the turnips, and the corn. Trade them for a sheep. Bring it back. Make the right offering, and I'll accept it. You know what he said? No thanks. And the Bible says Cain left the presence of the Lord. Picture of an unsaved man and a saved man. 
picture of the sacrifice that every unsaved, that's what they tell you, you've got to be baptized to go to heaven. That's turnips. You do that. That's your work. You do something. That's why the Methodists tell you you got to help poor people, and I'm not against that. And you got to do, but it don't get you to heaven. And you got to be all oh, the right things and do this and do that and, 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 and do good works. And, and that's fine, I'm all for it, but it don't get you to heaven. That's raising corn and raising melons. There's only one thing that will get you to heaven, and that is the blood of God. See, I told you I could make it practical in here. See, that got, that, you got to put me on a softball team. I could have got that. Then you got the next story, chapter 5. Enoch. What a great picture that is. Bible says that Enoch was not, for God took him. The Bible says he walked 300 years in fellowship with God. And one day, the Bible says Enoch was not, for God took him. And God raptured him out. You know what he's a picture of? He's a picture of the day in your life and my life that a Jesus doesn't, and you don't die, that Jesus is coming, and we're going out. Yes. Oh, yes. The Bible says over in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, it was, talks about the fact that he, he pleased God by faith. That's exactly what you and I do. And then he uses a strange word. It says, and Enoch was translated that he should not see death. But before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. See, he's the type of the church. And God said that God translated him. God took him up. He also just told you that once something gets translated, it's perfect. But we won't have time to get into that this morning. Then Enoch was not, for God took him. You see, when we send up a guy in outer space, it's called an astronaut. When the Russians send a guy up in space, it's called a cosmonaut. And when God takes you up, you're called a was-not. You know what he was not? He was not in step with his world. You know what he was not? He was not part of the system. You know what he was not? I'm shooting a lot of messages in this one message today. You know what he was not? He was not like most of God's people today. And God took him. Picture the rapture of the church. You know what you got in the next chapter? He goes out in chapter 5, chapter 6, Noah's flood. Noah's a type of the nation of Israel. God protects the nation of Israel while God's judgment falls on this planet. Picture the tribulation period. If that wasn't enough, Isaiah chapter 54 verse 9 tells you the time the water's on this earth and Noah's in the ark has something to do with time that God deals with the nation of Israel in the tribulation period. I mean, it's all right there. It's all right there. You know what happens in Genesis chapter 9? I'll tell you what happened in Genesis chapter 9. He comes off that ark. They're up there on Mount Arad. I've already showed you how the land grant comes down through that thing. They're at the top of it. When those three boys come out of that ark, they come right down in the same land grant that God's going to give the Jew to in the millennium. You've got chapter 5, the rapture, chapter 6, the tribulation period, or chapter uh, 6, 7, 8, tribulation period, and chapter 9, the millennium of Christ. Every doctrine. Every do and on and on it goes. Without a doubt, my favorite story in the Bible was the story of Abraham. Abraham, the Bible says, is God's friend. Only two men in the Bible called God's friend. If you want to find out how to be God's friend, take Abraham's life. Boy, he starts in chapter 11, and boy, it doesn't stop till God done with him to chapter 22, 23, somewhere in there. Wow, what a great story. You want to find everything out. You want to find everything in your life. That's what I'm telling you. Eleven stories. And each one of those 11 stories will lay out for you a doctrinal issue. When you come through creation in 1 and 2, as I gave you, you'll find out He's before all things, and by Him all things consist. When you come through Adam and Eve, you'll find a saved and unsaved. When you come through Noah, you're going to find that Noah stood alone in a world that was against God. You're going to go to chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel, you're going to find that God takes the simple things of this world to confound the wise. When you go to chapter 12 to chapter 25 with Abraham, you're going to find how to walk with God. When you go to 26 to 27 and 28 to 35 with Jacob, you're going to find out how not to walk with God. I mean, it's time after time after time after time. When you get to chapter 37 through chapter 50, the life of Joseph, you're going to find out how to and how not to get along with the brethren. It's all there. I'm sorry. Everything you need before you start anywhere else in the Bible is in this book. Abraham. 
I, you know what, people just, I, I, love, I love listening to, not you guys, but I love listening to people. All my life I've heard people say, and, 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 and this is why I, I, this, I've heard people say, well, you know what? Well, you know what, I don't really do that because that's just in the Old Testament. Or I don't really believe that because that's, that's really not, I, you know, I, that's just not, that's not my gift. I, I hear people all the time, you know, and yet they don't have no clue. I, 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 years ago, I, somebody, I talked to somebody and he said to me, he said, you know what, Bobby says, he says, I says, I just don't, I, I just don't believe in tithing. He says, to me, tithing is, an old, is in, under the law. He says, and we're not under the law, we're under grace. Well, first of all, let me just say this. I could care less if you tithe or not. I don't care. It ain't going to hurt me one way or the other. This is God's church. So I'm not saying it for that, but I want to show you an example here. I want to show you how stupid some people are. You take the life of Abraham, you know what? You find back there in Abraham everything you need to know about a relationship with God. Some of you say, I don't believe tithing for the New Testament. I don't believe this for that. You know what? You don't even know what you're talking about. The greatest example of being God's friend in the Bible was a man. Somebody says, well, I, Bob, I just believe tithing is under the law. I believe it's under the law. Oh, really? That's good. That's real good. You know what? Genesis chapter 14, he met Melchizedek and gave him tithes of all he had. That was way before the law. I'll take it one step farther than that. You know what you got in Abraham's life? Oh, you got everything you need. You got a progression. He starts out in Genesis chapter 14, and he has a basic relationship with God, and he gives what God requires. He comes a little bit farther, and he grows in the Lord, and he begins to realize what God has done for him. He has a real relationship with God, and then he comes down through that thing. When the angels show up in chapter 19, he puts on a feast for him, doesn't even eat it himself, and says, Here, God, take this. This is extra because I just love you. And then he really gets to the place where he's God's friend. And when he, he, he's, he's tested with the most precious thing he loves, his own son Isaac, God says, take that boy and put him on an altar and kill him. And he took that boy and he put him on an altar and he laid him down there. And the Bible says it was his only son, the promised seed. And he took that knife in his hand and he was going to give him to God. Why? Because he had grown to the place that he was God's friend and you have everything in his life that teaches you everything you need to know. And you find that your giving to God is a progression. He started out giving what God required. And then he gave because he loved God. And then he understood what it meant to give a sacrifice to God. And you know what? I don't care if you do or you don't. Makes no difference to me. And if you think I said that just so you give, you're a fool. But I'll tell you this. Until you understand what God gave to you and you give everything back to Him, you're spinning your wheels, friend. I'm just telling you. You'll never be God's friend till you understand what it means to sacrifice. And I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about you realizing what your money and everything you've got is secondary once you understand the sacrifice that God made. That's what Genesis does. It lays down every issue. And before you get to chapter 12, it's all done. By the time you get to the end of the book, you got it all. Oh, Abraham, what a study. You want to be God's friend? Just study his life. You got troubles in your life and you got problems in your life? Study some of the other guys. Find out the contrast between the two. That's why there's seven pairs in there for you. Not only that, but the book of Genesis goes hand in hand with the book of Revelation. You see, Genesis is Revelation chapter 1. Revelation, Gen uh, Revelation chapter 66 to 66 book. You have the first book and the last book. The Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending. And what, what Genesis does, Genesis, Genesis starts with a tree of life in a perfect condition. Revelation ends with a tree of life in a perfect situation. Now, what you've got in between is you've got God's infallible circle of how everything goes. And that's why when you finish reading your Bible for the first time, you might have been a little disheartened. I know I was. I was just all getting excited. And I was reading that thing, and I was coming through there, and I was seeing all the problems of man, and I was seeing the promise it was going to get better, and God was going to come. And But I was excited, and when I got to Revelation chapter 22, I had a real letdown because he stopped right when it got good and said, The end. Then I figured out it wasn't the end. When you get to the end and you want more, 
got to go back to the beginning. There is a Revelation 23 in your Bible. It's just masked under Genesis chapter 1. It's a complete circle. Last week I showed you how eternity on this side, eternity on that side, and time in the middle. Eternity here and eternity there. In the middle with Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, and it picks right back up where it started. Oh, that's the way it is. That book of Genesis is incredible. That book of Genesis will give you everything that you need. Everything that you need. And then lastly, the book of Genesis, inspirationally for you and me, teaches seven great truths. You might know it would be seven. And they're the foundation for the redemption of man. And they're the foundation of man's history all through the Bible. And they're taught in Genesis. And this is something that, you know, this is for you. All the other stuff will show you all kinds of things, and I'm not saying it's a lot, not, but this here is a, is, it's an inspirational overview of the whole concept of God taught in the book of Genesis. Seven concepts, seven great truths, and they compass the whole Bible. The first thing you need to know is this, that there is a personal and powerful creator. It's not a myth, it's not a hope, it's not a chance. There is a God. And He is personal, He is powerful, and He is the Creator. And He is identified in the book of Genesis and in the rest of the Bible. Once He's identified and you find out the signs to look for and you know how He works, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4, you know all the things that are going on, you've got the whole thing laid out by the time you get to chapter 12, by the time you get to the rest of the Bible, you watch everything else. You know what He's doing? Once He's ID'd in the first part of Genesis, he carries out his three plans. We talked about them last week, going out through the rest of the Bible. But you've got to identify him first. You've got to find out how he's going to work. You've got everything in Genesis. Everything in Genesis you want. Everything in want. Everything you need. Everything that you need. Why, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, <coughs> and the earth without void and void and dark upon the face of the deep. And then it says this, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. There's the Holy Spirit. You know what? I know you're caught or not. It said the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That's where the Spirit of God goes in motion. And there isn't any place anywhere in the Bible where he ever stops. He started moving there, and he kept on moving, and he's moving today. And then the Bible shows you what direction he's moving. He's going east to west. East to west. And you can take that thing right there and watch the Spirit of God move all the way around this planet and cover everything and then come right back where he started. And that's where we're at today. Where we're at today. God identifies himself and then carries out his three plans distinctly throughout the rest of man's history. There is a personal and powerful creator. Second great principle you need to know is this. Man in his fallen state is enmity against God. Man in his fallen state is enmity against God. From Genesis chapter 3 on, man is nothing more than in an existence to try to overthrow God. That's why he puts those genealogies in there to show you, to keep him straight. He didn't want you to get the lines crossed. He wants to keep showing you who keeps getting out of bounds so you won't miss it. Because after you get through chapter 3, the rest of that Bible is nothing more other than God's plan working. But the bottom line, as far as man's concerned, in his unregenerate state, when he rejects God, he's just trying to overthrow God. And you can mask it with all kinds of advancement, all kinds of science, all kinds of culture, all kinds of this, all kinds of music, all kinds of nice clothes, all kinds of big buildings. And you know what? It doesn't mask a thing when you know the Bible. That is man's basic desire is to overthrow God. And that's the biggest problem you got after you get saved in your flesh. Third thing you want to remember is the very best that man can do for God will fall short of what God's perfect holiness is. And don't ever doubt it for a minute. God is a holy God. And the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's Cain and Abel. The very best that he had wasn't good enough for God. And the very best you got isn't good enough for God. So you know what God did? God gave his very best for you. Oh. If man could just grasp these seven truths, it would change the whole world in a day. The third thing, only the Creator can redeem His fallen creation. I told you before, only the Creator can redeem His fallen creation. Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 verse 7, when they sinned, went out and got fig leaves, covered their nakedness. 
But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, God came down and said, that won't do, Adam. That won't do. No, 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 don't try to cover your nakedness by something that's growing. No, 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 no. Get the story straight. You've got to have something that died innocent to cover your sin. And a God made them coats of skin. The fifth thing you want to remember is this. This world is set up on the basis of degeneration, not evolution. That's the fate of man's history. Man isn't getting better, he's getting worse. Don't mistake technology, advancement, and science, and medical profession, and all the things that are going around today, and nice houses, and, seat, and, and car seats that warm your rear end when you sit down with the air conditioner that keeps your temperature just right. Don't forsake that for man getting better. Man is getting worse. That's all a mask to make you think it's a better place to live. And actually, the, words, the world is ten times worse today than it was when Jesus was here. Because the history is degenerate, not evolutionary. The sixth thing. God's plan was perfect love and perfect harmony with His creation. That's why He gave you a Bible. That's why He set the bounds of habitations back in the book of Genesis and the book of Acts. That's why I put them in the Garden of Eden and fellowship them every day. That's why I called out the nation of Israel that he might have them separate from all the world because they wanted to fellowship. And by the way, that's why I called you out of the world and saved you and put the Holy Spirit of God inside you so he could have fellowship with you where before he could not because you were sin and ungodliness in his sight. And the only way God could stand you in his presence was to put his son inside you so you could fellowship. That's God's plan. Man's plan, the seventh one. Man's plan is to overthrow God and make himself God. All these are great inspirational truths. That's why when man writes about his history, he writes books like Man and His History. Man in His Universe. Man in Control of His Destiny. Man the Bearer of His Destiny. Man in Search of His Destiny. Man and Controlled Evolution. Oh, that's why the great religions in this world are all built around you doing something like Cain did and trying to put it all together and make the world a better place to live, and then Christ will come down. Romans chapter 1, I taught it to you quite a while ago when we were coming through those things. Romans chapter 1, the great chapter on Gentiles, it said God revealed himself, and then when man saw who God was, he rejected him, he replaced him, and he reviled him. That's, that's, God's, pl that's God's plan, and man's plan is to overthrow him and make himself God. And I'll tell you something. Let me show you how the book of Genesis works. Get Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Get that in one hand. What a book. Get Genesis chapter 50, verse 26 in the other one. This book, something else. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning, God... God wanted a perfect place. God wanted to have fellowship with us. God never intended sin to come into this world. He allowed it, but he never intended it. God put him down there in a garden, a perfect estate, so he could fellowship with him. Made the earth perfect. Made the weather perfect. Made the fruit perfect. Made the trees perfect. No bugs, no snakes, no mosquitoes. Perfect temperature, perfect climate, perfect everything. I mean, man was in the blissful garden that man has tried to get back through in the last 6,000 years of history by trying to make the world a better place to live by killing millions of people. But when God made it, he made it perfectly. Because that's God's plan. And when you start to see the beginning of the book of Genesis, you see in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and it's perfect. When you go to the last verse in Genesis, you know what it says? Somebody's in a coffin in Egypt. What a parallel. God's plan, man's plan. God's plan will wind you up in heaven. Man's plan will wind you up in a coffin in Egypt, type of this world. Oh, that's the picture. That book of Genesis is the greatest book in the Bible in the Old Testament. It lays down the foundation of everything you're going to get in life. It's the cornerstone. It'll define everything for you. It's broken down into 11 stories. It's broken down with everything that you need to lay it out and put it together that you've got everything you need to figure out where you're going. By the time you get to the first 12 chapters, all the doctrines are down. By the time you get to the last thing, everything that you're going to face in your life is down and laid out and clearly defined, and it shows you the great contrast. God had a plan. Man's got a plan. And God's plan will put you in heaven. Man's plan will put you in a coffin in Egypt. That's the book of Genesis. Well, I hope you learned from things from that. You've got enough there to keep you busy for about an hour or so. Next week we'll do Exodus.
But we'll pick it up where we ended in Genesis with a coffin in Egypt, and we'll see where man, and again, the whole Bible is one thing. Genesis chapter 1, God makes it perfect. Chapter 3, they screw it up. God covers their nakedness by giving them goat skin or coats of skin. We come all down through that thing. It winds up in a coffin in Egypt. Man's in a mess. What does God do? The next book is Exodus, the redemption by blood of a lamb. He just never stops. That's God. Let's pray. Father, we thank